If you have your Bibles, take them and let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. And uh, we're working our way uh, through this first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And uh, we're going to pick up again with a little bit more from the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, so follow along. I'm going to read from verse 1 uh, to verse 16. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you, not, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Caden. Father, your word is so helpful for gaining an understanding of the world in which we live. It's so helpful in understanding the perspective of the human heart. It's so instructive in illustrating your way with us. And so as we come to this particular early chapter of the Bible, um, help us, I pray. It is a living word. Make it live in us. Soften our hearts to it, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Many times, if you've been here over the last number of months, we've spoken about how Genesis 1 to 11 is uh, sort of the key to understanding human history. In fact, it is primeval history. It is the history of humanity, how the world began, and what sets it apart. And so we've been looking at creation. We've been looking at the fall. And as we come to chapter 4 in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4 is like Pandora's box. It just explodes to us in understanding the world in which we live. And you might say, well, Paul, it's just the story of Cain and Abel. It's just the story of two brothers. They were in a particular family, and uh, things went sideways, and the older brother killed the younger brother, and that's all there is to it. Well, that is true, and there is a part to that. And, you know, we looked last week at the family setting. We looked last week at the worship and why it seems that uh, Cain's offering um, was rejected and Abel's was received. But I just introduced you to the fact that it's also a much bigger story than that. The story of Cain and Abel is inter, in, introducing to us the story of two humanities. 
There are only two peoples in this world. There are only two groups of people. There are the people of God, and there are the people of the evil one. There is the kingdom of God, and there is the kingdom of uh, Satan. There is the power of God, and there is the power of Satan. There is the kingdom of darkness, and there is the kingdom of light. And the first few chapters, um, when we get to Genesis uh, 4 and uh, 5, they are introducing us to two lines now. The line of uh, Cain, which we will look at today and uh, next week, and the line of Seth, which is the one is the seed of the woman and the other is the seed of the serpent. And so when we think about the story of Cain and Abel, first of all, it describes a, a very real struggle that I feel. And any of you who walk with God feel this same struggle. It's the tension between these two humanities. It's this tension between the ways of God and the ways of the world. It's this tension that we feel when we hear the news media or when we hear the education system or when we hear the political system that seems to go against everything that we believe and hold true. It seems to deny the commands of God and it seems to deny Jesus Christ. And there's this tension that we feel. Now, most of us just feel that tension in our hearts and in our lives and in our jobs and in our families. We don't feel it with our very lives. But around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are dying in numerous numbers because of this tension or this hostility. It's a God-created hostility. It's described in Genesis chapter 3.15 where God says, as part of the punishment, I will put enmity or hostility between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And so the world in which we live is divided by that hostility. And Genesis 4 introduces us to that trajectory. Cain and Abel are not only individual brothers, but they are, they are the beginning of these two different humanities. There's these two different communities. We looked at, and we, I would encourage you if you want to read a bit more of this, Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the seeds and the wheat. As the world is described as the field, and there's two seeds put in that field, there's the wheat and there's the uh, there's the weeds and they start growing together and there's this tension, should we remove the weeds? And uh, God says, no, don't review, remove the weeds. And then they ask for an explanation of this parable and Jesus in part says to them, the field is the world. This is the world in which you and live. It's a big field of humanity. And it says, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Only two humanities, only two peoples in this world in which we live. That's why, in part, I think it's helpful for us to think of Jesus' prayer in John 17, where Jesus prays. He says, Father, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. Isn't that what we want, many of us, sometimes? We feel the pressure. We feel the strain. We feel this enmity, and we say, I just want to go home. Father, take me home. And Jesus says, I don't pray, Father, that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus recognizes this tension in the world in which we live. Second, I think this uh, chapter and this particular story is helpful for us to get into the way of Jesus with the subjects of darkness and with one whose heart is committed to the kingdom of darkness. This is the heart of Cain. Cain is the first human subject of the kingdom of darkness. He's the first one that represents the seed of Cain and the seed of the serpent. And so it's helpful for us to look at Genesis 4 that way, that not only does it show us an individual human and his heart, but it shows us the, the, the general way of those who are part of the kingdom of darkness. And it's important that we remember that in, um, in uh, 1 John, 
uh, we are told, you should not be like Cain. So we're interpreting Genesis 4 in light of that. You should not be like Cain. Why? Well, because he was of the evil one. He was a son of darkness. And his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. In another place, Paul talks about this, 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 this bent that we all have when we're born into the world. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We're spiritually dead to God, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of uh, disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So here is an account of ancient human history being illustrated through the lives of Cain and Abel. You need to follow those things through. You need to think them through, but that is where Genesis 4 is taking us. There's a third thing that's introduced in Genesis chapter 4, which is absolutely profound. And again, we're talking about how do we understand the world in which we live? How do we understand the way, the reason relationships have gone that the way, or the reason there's tensions, the, the reason there's, there's suffering, the reason that there's evil? How do we do that? Well, there's a very small word that's first introduced in Genesis chapter 4. First time it's used in the Bible. It's a word that a lot of people hate. It's a word of, that a lot of people want to deny its reality and its existence. It's a word that many people underestimate. It's a word that, though, describes the reality of our hostility towards God. It's a word that only has meaning in relationship to God, in the beginning God. If there was no God, this word would have no meaning. In the middle of this little word, is the letter I, and the word is sin. This is the first place in the Bible that the word sin is introduced. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. What is sin? It's just a word we don't like anymore. It's a word that we just, we find repulsive. But what is sin? As I said, it only as explanation in context or relationship with God. Sin is a lack of conformity to God's moral law. The law that we know in our hearts about thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not sin. You should honor your father and mother, don't covet. It's a one that says don't be angry. It says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Sin is, then it's a lack of moral conformity to the law of God. Sin is a universal deformity. There's not a single person on this earth that does not sin and that has not sinned. The Bible is very clear with that, that all of us in one way or another has fallen short of the glory of God in our attitudes, our words, our intentions. We have missed the mark of what God has said, this is the life that I want you to live, this is the path that I have created you to walk in. We have crossed the boundaries, we have stepped outside of the boundaries it's a way of describing our interaction with God and his laws. And sin is a negative interaction with God and his laws. Its result is to bring spiritual hostility into our lives, uh, most notably enmity against God. It's a, uh, a reality that has brought relational tension into our world between husbands and wives, between children and parents, between employee and employers, between neighbors, uh, sin is what is responsible for those hostilities and those tensions. It's brought emotional and physical pain, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3. 
And no one is immune to it, as I said. The Bible is very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so Genesis 4 is the first place in which it is named. And from there, it will just explode in our understanding of why the world is as it is. What is difficult for us to wrap our head around is how did sin enter into the world? Well, the Bible says very clearly, sin entered into the world through one man, through Adam. And death came because of that. Death spread to all men. By one man's trespass, trespass, death reigned through that one man. Through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. Through one man's disobedience, Paul says, the many were made sinners. And so the, the reality is, is now Adam and Eve were the only ones that were born without a sin nature. Through their sin, now we have all sinned. We all have a nature. So by, we are by nature sinners, and we are by act sinners. Those two things go together. This is not me simply trying to get on a hobby horse. It's just what the Bible says about sin. So those three things are key to understanding the direction of our world, the two humanities, uh, what a subject of the kingdom of darkness looks like, what characterizes him, God's way with that person, and sin. And so we come to Cain. We looked at his family, we looked at the worship, and we come to Cain this morning, and uh, we realize it didn't go too well for Cain because the Lord rejected his offering. And the Bible says he was furious and his face distorted. He was angry at God. It all started with an offering, or did it? It's more like the rejection, I think, of the offering was a last straw for Cain. At that moment, something inside of him snapped. When God finally said to him, it was a culmination probably of, of, of months, possibly years of, of questioning God, of frustrated, being frustrated with God, of having a heart that was rebellious toward God, and it just snapped in that particular instance when God had no regard for his offering. I suspect that most of you understand what I'm talking about. When we are the brunt of somebody's explosion of anger, and we, we, we think to ourselves, what was that all about? Where did that come from? It's so out of character. But yet, when we think about it, we understand that anger is something that brews. It's something that festers. It's, it's something that starts small and grows big. This is why the Bible would warn us as individuals. It says, don't let a, a root of bitterness spring up inside of you. In other words, don't let bitterness take hold. Don't let a, a frustration with somebody or an anger with somebody or a frustration with God or a misunderstanding with God, don't let it take hold in your life. Deal with it quickly. It's a, another place in the Bible where it says, don't go to bed angry. It's not a law, but it's a way of recognizing that there's something that happens in the human heart that if we don't deal with something early and soon, that it has the tendency to become something much bigger than we ever thought it would become in the course of even a few days. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
There's, a, there's, there's this stuff that takes place in us. You dwell on it long enough. You talk to yourself long enough. And before, before you know it, something that was just little has just become something that is just massive. And it's out of proportion. Something happens. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to address it. And we nurse it. Our self-talk runs wild. I'm shocked in my own heart at how within a matter of seconds, my self-talk can take me from something small to imagining and thinking the worst of somebody. It, it shocks me. So I think in Cain's life, something had happened. Maybe it started with a dinner with his mom and dad in the family home, you know, and they were saying, Mom and Dad, there's that garden over there that you tell us about, and what happened in the garden? And they might have told the story about, you know, the fruit and about the snake and then about the punishment and then about being kicked out of the garden. And maybe in, in Cain's mind, he was thinking, man, that is just rotten. Why would God be so mean? You just, it was just a bite of a fruit. And now look, we gotta, we got to farm this land and there's pain and, and you know, Dad, you're going to die. And this, what is this God all about? And on top of that, memories of the evil one. And the evil one came along to Eve and said, has God really said? And who knows what the evil one had been speaking into Cain's mind again and again and again about God. He's harsh, Cain. You don't need to trust him, Cain. He overdid it with your mom and dad, Cain. That is conjecture, obviously. But for me, the rejection of the offering was the last straw for Cain. And he exploded. And this is the way of subjects of darkness. For one reason, they have listened to the lies of the evil one again and again and again and again to the point where finally they just had it with God. I know far too many people who are angry with God. Some of you probably know people that are angry with God and they've never set foot in a church for months or years. Some of you may be nurturing anger with God. Something happened and you think God blew it. You think God made a mistake. You think God was unjust. You think God was unfair. You think, you think God treated you differently and he shouldn't have done that to you. You think your life is the way it is because God is mean and harsh with you. If God is really good, why is he allowed this to happen in your life? I re read an article that I've read dozens of times since middle of early 2000s by John Piper. The title is Off-Putting, but I think it's instructive. Is it ever right to be angry with God? That's a really important question to ask yourself. Is it ever right to be angry with God? God who is perfect. God who is just. God who is righteous. God who is eternal. God who knows all things. God who is sees all things. God has power over all things. A God who is holy, a God who is righteous, a God who is just, a God who is pure, a God who is good all the time. Is it ever right to be angry with God? Or is the issue us? When we gather together on Easter Sunday, we do something. I will say, or somebody will say, he is risen. And what do you say? He's risen indeed. So I want us to learn something that maybe we'll do, do randomly in the days and weeks to come. I say, God is good. You say, 
all the time. I say all the time. You say, let's try it. God is good. All the time. If we embed that in our hearts and minds, it will help us in those times when we are tempted to become angry with God. God is merciful to Cain. Hugely. In verse 6, it said, Then God said to Cain, just stop there for a moment. God came and spoke to Cain. Cain was the one who had the issue. Cain was the one who was angry. Cain was the one who should have brought it up with God and told God what was going on. But no, God came to Cain in his anger, in his frustration, in his fury. God came to Cain and said, Cain, let's talk about this. It's actually a wonderful biblical principle that Jesus talks about in Matthew, that if you're worshiping the Lord and, and you realize that somebody has something against you, it says, set your offering aside, hunt them down, and make it right. And so here is God, in some senses, I think, modeling that. Cain, 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 let's talk about this. And this is a reality I believe every single human being has at least once in their life, because God's grace and mercy multiple times, when God comes to us, God seeks us, God looks for us. God is a seeking God. God is a calling God. And so when God speaks to Cain, it's not that God is ignorant of what's in Cain's heart. And he says to Cain, Cain, why are you angry? It's not that, it's not that God is saying, man, I just don't like the way he's looking at me. What's wrong with that guy? Cain, tell me what's going on. No, Con, God knew exactly what was in Cain's heart. What he wanted to do was draw it out of Cain. He wanted Cain to speak himself. And I, I think there's great merit if you're angry or someone's mad at you before it blows up. Say to the person, just sit down for five minutes and write, why are you angry with me? And I bet you 99 times out of 100, when they actually do that, they will find that their anger is unreasonable, that it's over the top, that it's not justified, that it's selfish. But it's not that like God didn't know what was in Cain's heart. What he was doing was he was giving Cain an opportunity to repent. He was giving Cain an opportunity to discuss it where God says in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Let's talk this through. And then God says to him, if you do right, won't you be accepted? If you don't do right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. God is saying to Cain very clearly, Cain, there are two ways. And probably all of us are aware of that now. There are two ways. There is a right way. There is the wrong way. There is the way of righteousness. There is the way of wickedness. There is the way of Light, there is the way of darkness. There are two ways. We have to choose which way we're going to walk in. This is really critical. And God says if you choose the right way, if you come back and realize that you stepped off the path, that you, that you went astray, but you come back to me, and it's actually repentance. He says you will be accepted. It's a conversation. It's a humbling it's a recognition that you don't know all things. Even though, you know, your father ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it messed him up. Cain, you don't know good and evil. You need to come chat with me about it. And if you do that, you will be accepted. If you don't, sin is waiting to devour you. It's a moral choice, really, that God is giving him. It's a choice to Cain, who is walking in darkness, um, walking 
according to the evil one. It's a choice to Cain to say, come out of that kingdom and come into this kingdom. This is a fascinating thing that he says. Your sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. I have read this verse for years, and it's in my head. I feel this almost every single day. Sin is lying in wait for you. This wasn't something that, that Cain had no awareness of. Death had been introduced into the world through sin. In fact, the first death occurred when Jesus, or when God killed an animal and took its skin to clothe Adam and Eve. Now, predation was a normal part of the earth. It had never been in the garden. But when sin came, death came. And so predation was something Cain was familiar with. And he must have sit in fascination. He must have watched this, you know, a lion or a bear or a tiger or a T-Rex or something that would lie in wait if a T-Rex can lie in wait. That's a pretty big thing to lie in wait. But nonetheless, it, it would be lying in wait and it would be waiting for prey to come along and then out of nowhere it would pounce. So this was not an unfamiliar image to Cain. This word to rule over, it's the, it, 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 sin is lying in wait and it wants to rule over. This is the third time it's used. The first time it's used in, in uh, chapter 1, I believe it's 13, uh, 318 where it says, or 118 where it says that God created the sun and the moon to rule over the night and the day. It's used in a negative context in um, uh, 3.16 where it speaks of the impact of sin in the relationship with a husband and wife. And it say of the wife, her desire will be to rule over her husband. And here it's used in a negative context where sin's desire is to rule over you. But God's not finished with mercy again yet with Cain. He says, but you must master it, not manage it. You can never manage sin, loved ones. I hope you can work that through in your head. You know, we, we think we can manage it. Oh, I, I lost it this time, but, you know, I, I'll control it next time. I can manage my anger. I can manage my impatience. I can manage my covetousness. I can manage my lust. I can manage my pride. No, you can't manage it. The Bible tells us we must master sin, and we master it through Jesus Christ. And so God is saying to Cain, Cain, you need to master this. And the way you master it is by submitting to me, by confessing your sin, by repenting to me. And as we walk together, then I will give you paths through it. I will give you ways that you can deal with it. I will make sure that King sin does not kill you. It's another act of mercy. Mercy, God speaks to Cain. Mercy, God says sin can be mastered, but not your way, but my way. And he's still not done with him yet. Again, God initiates a conversation with him. Cain went out after this and he killed his brother. Shocking. It's amazing how, how the Bible uses so few words to describe things that are just, just beyond imagination. I can't imagine the, the, the conversation that Cain had with his brother Abel. Hey, Abel, man, I, I got to show you this new thing in the field. It's pretty cool. I've never seen it before. Let's go for a walk. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he says he rose up and he killed his brother. The escalation of sin is, is just, it's exploding. And here it escalates in Cain's heart. 
to where he kills Abel. Now, God could have been done with Cain there. He could have said, you're toast, Cain. And I, I say that flippantly. God would not say you're toast. God would rightly judge him for his act of sin. God could leave him to his own devices. But no, God comes to Cain again. And he says, where's your brother Abel, Cain? God doesn't ignore him. God doesn't crush him. God doesn't snuff him out. God gives him another opportunity to repent. This is the way of God with people in the world. Rarely, and I don't know if there's ever where it's just once, because God has put his law in our hearts of all people. God has given us all a conscience. God speaks to us through the world he's created. I think God speaks to us again and again and again, even in our rebellion. And here it is, how many times in this one instance to Cain? Where's your brother, Cain? Again, it's not that God didn't know. God sees everything. God knows everything. God knew what was in Cain's heart, just as God knew where Abel was. Once again, God opened the door to Cain to come back to him. But nothing in Cain. It's shocking. No guilt. No shame. No remorse. No, well, you know, um, I was ticked at my brother. I don't know where he is. Just a bold-faced lie. His heart is set, isn't it? His way is wicked. And so God passes judgment on him. What a hard, hard judgment, but certainly there's grace even in the judgment. You're still going to live, Cain, but you're no longer going to make a living off the ground. I know you're a farmer, but the ground is now not going to open up its produce to you. And you're going to be a wanderer on the earth. We know what Cain thought. His response to him was, my punishment is too great to bear. Not, I'm sorry, Father. Forgive me, Lord. It was thinking of himself. What am I going to do now? How am I going to make a living? How am I going to make, make a go of it in the world today? Not, how can I get right with God? How can I feign my way back into a relationship with you? But this is just too much to bear. And I must hide myself from your presence and be a restless wanderer on the earth. Again, not the slightest indication of anything going on in his heart. This is a real dangerous place to be. The Bible speaks about, speaks about godly grief, which leads to repentance, which leads to life. That's when our heart is crushed by the weight of our sin, where our guilty conscience does its work and we come to God in repentance which leads to life. Or the Bible describes worldly grief, which is sorrow that I got caught, which is remorse, which is not making it up to God. It's just, oh, man, I'm in a bad spot. And worldly grief leads to death. And then Cain says, a fascinating statement there, I must hide myself from your presence. I think what Cain is saying there is, I, I'm really done with you, God. I don't like your laws. I don't like your rules. I don't like your way with me. I don't like the way of righteousness. I don't like the implications of what you're saying to me. I'm going to live my life myself. 
I don't want you in my world. I don't want you in my life. I don't want you influencing my decisions. I don't want you making me feel guilty. I don't want you speaking about sin in my life. So I've got to hide myself from God's presence. And that's what the fool says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, so he can live how he wants. As though there ever, never is no re- recompense for his actions. And he recognizes that though they're, they're, he's in trouble. He says, because somebody is going to take vengeance on me. This is just a recognition that the population of the earth is, is, is increasing. And that there might be some in the line of Abel who one day say, you know, we need to go get Cain. Look at what he did to our brother. And so God marked him. I uh, don't know how. It just says put a mark on him. My sins are many, your mercy abounds. He pleaded with God, what am I going to do? God should have said, Cain, you made your bed, lie in it. How many parents have said that to their kids? I've heard it. (laughs) But God said, okay, okay, I tell you what, Cain, I know it's a tough punishment. It's just, it's fair, but I will mark you. It's amazing how God's grace and mercy is even poured out upon sinners. I've been thinking about this quite a lot, and we'll look at it next week even more, but It's not like God washes his hands of those who are in the kingdom of darkness. It's not as if God says, "Ah, I'm never going to do a thing that's going to be helpful for people who won't obey me or walk with me. God demonstrates to Cain what he asks us to do. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Do you understand what God is showing here and modeling here? Just because somebody doesn't walk with God doesn't mean we wash our hands of them. Just because somebody doesn't walk with God and is the kingdom of darkness doesn't mean that we don't talk to them, that we don't pray for them, that we don't play baseball with them, that we don't um, uh, 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 interact with them. God doesn't wash his hands of Cain. Even in all his rebellion, God still blesses him by preserving his life. And then it said, Cain went out from the presence of God. Wow. Wow. He went out from the presence of God. Do any of you know a Cain? Husband, wife, son, daughter, neighbor. Any of us know a Cain who has just rejected the mercy of God and walked away? Some of you do, don't you? Pray for them this week. Pray that God will not be finished with them. Pray that the mercy of God may yet ring true to them. Pray that God will do something in their heart that rather than them rebel and push back and ignore and fight against that mercy, would give in to it and humble themselves before God. And choose the way of righteousness rather than persisting in the way of evil. And so Cain lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's fascinating to me. It's just images. But remember what's at the east of Eden? The entrance into the garden. And God had blocked it with the cherubim. Hadn't destroyed it. I mean, he blocked it. But what is Cain doing? He is moving as far away as he can from the way back to God. 
He wants nothing to do with God. That's the heart of a subject of the kingdom of darkness. Leave me alone, God. I don't want anything to do with you. This is a fascinating, helpful chapter of the Bible that describes for us the world in which we live, the way of those who walk in rejection of God, but the heart of God to all people, even those that reject him. It's a heart of mercy. It's a God of grace. It's a God that seeks. It's a God that longs for people to respond to his invitation to reason. Though their sins be scarlet, they can be white as snow. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for uh, its help in understanding the world that we live in. To understand the battle that's in our own heart. To understand the breadth of your grace and mercy. To learn from you. Father, we use this saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Father, I think for some of us, the apple has rolled a long way from the tree and we're not like you even though we're your kids. Father, help us to learn from you, to imitate you. And Father, I do pray, really, I do pray for those that maybe are even in this room, um, certainly those of us that know Cain's, people who have just put a wall up against you. They've just decided they don't want you in their life, they don't want your ways uh, to be their ways, they would rather pursue their own ways, but their own ways are anything but righteous and good. Father, thank you that your mercy is ever flowing. It's rich and sweet. Our sins, they are many. Your mercy is great. Be with us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.